Dr. Jeff Daniels. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I wanted to put a call out to uh, a reference. We had a chalk talk yesterday with Steve Girali and uh, Greg Doppelauer. If you missed it, hopefully you can catch the, uh, the replay. Uh, many of us from the organization are here representing. So uh, good reference. If you uh, got a chance to be in Dirk's IoT session yesterday, he covered uh, a few organizations, Volkswagen, Hunter, and Lockheed Martin. It's worth going back and looking at, but I'm gonna talk in depth about the industrial internet of things and our journey at Lockheed Martin today. So first of all, I wanna say thank you for being here. I know you have choices. I hope you've had a good week. I came ready to talk about the future of work and I walked through the expo hall and I don't know if anyone's done that, it's really neat. But I saw something strange and it was typewriters. And it, it took me way back. Uh, many of you have probably used typewriters, but I got a comment from one of the people working there and she said, uh, she was helping someone fix a typewriter and she said, well, I, they, they don't know how to use these things. So I, I think it was a machine learning uh, application. Um, you know, this year is significant for a number of reasons. 50 years ago, we made it to the moon, right? Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. But many of you may not know, 50 years ago, we also sent the very first internet message. Dr. Lynn Kleinrock at UCLA made a connection to Stanford University. And the significance of that on um, October 29th, 1969, um, a great story, but that was really the first note of ARPANET, uh, what later became ARPANET, but the very first connection. And, and Dr. Kleinrock did some work in packet switching and protocols. But, you know, we made it to the moon that year. We made the first internet connection. And uh, here we are and celebrating at Lockheed Martin, our first instance of the Intelligent Factory. On our, intel on our uh, digital transformation, I want to share some uh, background on the, on the organization. You saw some of the videos. All those products are representative of our four business areas. Uh, aeronautics with our uh, aircraft, uh, heavy lift, transport, tactical fighters, um, strategic aircraft, missiles and fire control with our fire control systems, tactical missiles um, uh, and energy, uh, RNMS, rotary mission systems where we have the uh, Sikorsky and training systems training and logistics, and then space. You saw uh, some of the uh, fleet ballistic missiles and uh, Orion program. So that's a, a pass around our business. Uh, a little over 105,000 employees in those four business areas, a lot of facilities across the globe. Um, a number of those are major manufacturing facilities and uh, a significant amount of engineering and scientists on staff. Uh, heavily focused in research and development, we uh, invest quite a bit. We've got partnerships in um, uh, industry. Uh, many of you are our partners, as well as academia and, and higher education. Um, Joe mentioned UCF. Uh, I'm partial to UCF in Central Florida. We've got a great industrial uh, engineering program, and if you ever uh, need a contact, Dr. Kowalski does a great job. I'm on, I'm on the board with him down there. Um, we've got a number of labs, R&D centers, uh, and IP. Okay, so let's talk, let's get specific about wh what we're doing on our digital transformation journey. We've heard this uh, a number of times. We're in the fourth industrial revolution. We're focused in cyber physical systems. And the apex of that is an industrial internet of things. 
We're seeing the convergence of information technology and operational technology. We're a long-standing organization, over 100 years old, and we're taking that OT technology and the great work there and combining it with IT, and that's where we get the Industrial Internet of Things. So some examples that we have. Digital Twin with our virtual representation in a number of areas, not just engineering, but sustainment, manufacturing, uh, and the components that we build. The Intelligent Factory, which I'm going to talk specifically about, where um, we're improving movement through processes through our factory and connectivity. The Data Refinery, we've got our Chief Data Officer here from one of the business areas, Mr. Baskell, um, focused on how we use data and apply data and build new models. Then we have Control Tower, which gives us a view of how the business is running out through our supply chain and our partners. Some specific examples here are on the Orion spacecraft. Uh, we're using AR and VR to uh, simplify complex assemblies and, and improve our efficiencies there. Uh, combat rescue helicopter, we're using VR for maintenance tasks. Intelligent factory specific, close to me, uh, with F-35, we're realizing some cost savings there as we connect and improve our processes. And we've got some um, AI tools that go on top of that data that we collect from the factories. Okay, so specific, uh, I wanna share some of the, the recent successes. We said this year was a, a banner year, and this is a view of uh, one of our wing assemblies on the F-35 in the factory. Last year, we were here at reInvent, um, and we identified green grass as something that we wanted to uh, pilot, bring in, add to a piece of the intelligent factory. Six months later, we, um, we, we got it in GovCloud. So as soon as it was live, we were there, and, and we ended up being first in GovCloud. Um, for, for us, that's a quick turn, that's a quick cycle. Um, six months from announcement into GovCloud, we started off on the, on the public side, looking at the capabilities, now it's part of our solution stack. Um, we have unique requirements that, that drive us to GovCloud, as many of, of you are in the industry and, and partnerships. Um, our, uh, our design, we create a new security boundary between the OT shop to the top, uh, where our data lake is in the cloud. And our security boundary here is, is really what we put in place to secure the machine connections um, and uh, normalize the data as we put it up to the data lake. Uh, we, we base our model on an MT Connect-like standard. Um, that's, that's a pretty prevalent model many of you probably use. And then we've worked to extend it as we look to use data in context. And one of the interesting things that we learned was uh, latency seemed to be, you know, a question on everybody's mind. But as we're connecting, we're seeing it's not as big of a deal as we thought it was. Uh, so we're seeing good performance at this point. Um, you know, another piece that, that uh, I wanted to share at one of the other sites here, and, and it looks like this gentleman is in our session, the silent session with his headphones on. Um, we, uh, we captured temperature readings on chart recorders, manual chart recorders, and, and some of you are, are still doing this. We are still doing this in some cases. But we showed that it's possible to digitally capture those readings uh, from an audit-like quality inspection perspective. Um, We've uh, created visualizations on the data from the shop floor uh, components and machinery up to the data lake, and we've proven that we can ingest that data. And um, when we talk about data in context, we've started adding manufacturing execution system data to make it more meaningful uh, and other areas as well. 
as, as that pipe opens for the OT data. We have unique constraints with manufacturing uh, in some of our facilities. We make fit for purpose systems. They're not always commodity based systems. Um, you see a picture here of the, of the F-35 and, uh, and some of the coatings. Um, we have unique requirements. So just as your industries and your businesses are expanding, some of you are in our industry as well, um, we're actually getting pressed to move pretty fast. So our customers are on a transformation as well. And we can't do it by incremental improvements. We've got to meet the demand by transforming, changing how we work, basically. And we're talking things like 10 years to make a satellite reduced down to five years. Fast attack recon helicopters in four years, right? So our lead times on product lines are, are shrinking. And it may sound like a long time for some of you if you're not in the industry, that's very fast for us. So specifically, I want to give you an example of some of the components that we're using in the Intelligent Factory. And you can see some of the machinery here on the left, uh, wing assembly and autoclave. And we're connecting those machines and um, getting the data in an MT Connect-like format, normalizing that data through IoT Core and Greengrass, and that's one of our security boundaries. And then we're putting it, ingesting it into our data lake in the cloud. And we use a, a series of uh, services there, S3, Kinesis, um, Redshift, and uh, Lambda functions. So we're ingesting that data. We call it shop to top. We're going from the shop floor, pushing that data up, crossing the security boundary, and normalizing the data so that then we can put it in context with other systems and other machines and other facilities. So then it becomes very useful. It's not a specific work cell, a specific machine. We can then start to scale out. So, you know, we're streaming data now from the OT machines to the data lake, from the shop to the top. Another piece that, that we're starting to build is the digital twin. And that was in one of the videos there a couple of times um, in, in the Future of Work video and you saw uh, a digital twin of, of the aircraft. We have various digital twins in design and sustainment, uh, as well as in the, sh in the factory here. So this is an example of one of the Mazak machines in our Grand Prairie facility. And um, we created a digital twin. So on the, on the left, you see the, the physical asset. On the right, you see the virtual asset. Um, so this is one of, of many components, many uh, machines in our factories. And we were able to create that. And I, I'll give a hat tip to, to Greg Doppelauer and, and Jeff Baskell here that's with us for creating this digital twin. So now we've got a physical in the shop, a virtual digital twin. And we start to see the components. So it's nice that it's visual, but what is it doing? And so we've started building visualizations to see what that machine's doing, to get machine states. And I'll tell you, one of the interesting things that started to happen is, in particular, not on that specific Mazak machine, but on uh, tube bending machines, we've started getting a higher level of fidelity that translates into uh, pressure readings that are critical for the, component, for the uh, air platforms and airframes that we build. So we're seeing a higher level of fidelity and discrete data coming off of the machines that in some cases we were not aware of before. Uh, in this case, you see machine states. 
uh, on that Mazak machine, you can see the uh, angles. And we've started to pair this up with manufacturing execution system data to make it meaningful. So now we see the state of the machine. And now we see the manufacturing execution system job that it's running on. And now we can see the operator and the line of business it's supporting and the customer. So data and context is absolutely critical. We can't get to something like Joe mentioned operational equipment effectiveness unless we have data in context, quality data, production data, OT data from the machinery, manufacturing execution system data, planning data, and so forth. We can't get to that equation without those data sets. Also in the digital twin, I want to give a reference to one of the, the projects we learned about last year. And a gentleman named Tim Wilson on the AWS team was here sharing the conveyor, and some of you may have seen that. We've used this in a number of ways. We've used this as a way to show the art of the possible, and we've used it as a team building exercise. So when we go into factories, we're using a technique, we call it internally, um, just do it events, or hackathons would be a common name. And we sort of swarm on a factory and instrument machines and build data products. Well, part of that, we've started to do team building type exercises. And one that we did was build these conveyors. <laughs> the conveyor is a physical product. You 3D print it, build a PCB, put motors in it, and it runs as a factory conveyor. It's about 14, 16 inches long. It's got all different components. So you physically assemble it, and we did this in teams. And then you control it through the cloud. The project's in GitHub. Tim Wilson's not here, but he's done a great job designing this. And um, we've used it to show the different components. One of those is Digital Twin. One of those, Greg Doppelauer is out here. He, he extended it to use Alexa to, to use voice controls. So we've got now this visual representation where we can explode out the bomb, the bill, bill of materials, and see the components inside this, where we could then potentially reorder a motor. Uh, we could reorder components if, it's, if we're tied into the supply chain. We can see what's inside that machine. We can diagnose problems. And if you pair that with the prior example of what the state of that machine is, then I can start to, to pull that digital twin together and make decisions. I can see my run times, my, my state of the machine, the condition of the machine, and ultimately get into a predictive maintenance type mode. So this is a really neat project. Uh, Tim's got it out there on GitHub. You, uh, you can pull it down like, like we have. The, the source code's out there, and then you can 3D print your parts and, and build this. But what's neat is, um, you know, you see the, the technology components here, iOS and, and, and Android, you can control through your phone. Um, we used uh, Sumerian to, to do uh, some of the imaging. And, um, it, it, you know, it's a great example of showing the art of the possible. So we've used this as kind of a North Star inspiration type deal. Uh, we certainly don't have this on all of our machinery yet in all of our factories but it's, it's a great technique. Um, okay, so you know, I wanna summarize in saying uh, we're on a journey. We have just started. We've created our intelligent factory. We're gonna continue to build on that. We've got five sites connected now, dozens of machines, and we're still learning and iterating on how to use that data that's spinning off. So you know, one of the first things that, that, that people sort of struggle with is how do I tap into that data? If it's local resident on a PLC, how do I get to that data? How do I expand out to a work cell? How do I expand out to a line of business? We're starting to do that. And you saw some of the components 
that we've, that we've connected and how we're using the data. We'll continue to expand with integrations with uh, enterprise resource planning tools, with manufacturing execution tools, uh, quality tools, personnel tools and staffing and so forth. So, um, you know, with, with the Intelligent Factory here, uh, Alex Moses is, is one of our engineers. He's written a number of adapters that um, we use to connect thermotrons and, and other components uh, in our factories. Alex has done a great job building these uh, adapters. We put them in um, what we call our software factory, and Chris Bennick's here representing the software factory. So we have the Intelligent Factory, we have Software Factory. So we have largely a code base now in our, of our Intelligent Factory using the CICD pipeline and tools that, that Chris's team has built for us. Um, so you see the synthesis of a couple of uh, initiatives coming together here. But um, as we connect more, as we develop more adapters, they're available across the corporation, they're available across the business areas. Uh, we'll increase connectivity in the machinery and tooling. And um, ultimately that leads us to improved quality, improved efficiencies, and, and back to what Joe shared, you know, those initial use cases in the A&D industry were probably not unique in trying to reduce downtime, trying to reduce, uh, trying to increase mission capability, reduce MICAPs and shortages. Basically, we want to keep our, our aircraft flying, keep our products in the field, and support the warfighter. So the better we can do that, starting with the Intelligent Factory, where we build and manufacture our products and platforms, um, we'll all be better off. So with that, I just want to summarize uh, Alex's statement here. Intelligent Factory creates a cybersecure convergence, that's that security line, of OT and IT for transparent modern day uh, decision making using modern development techniques, and certainly the cloud is part of that. So when we go back to those uh, four revolutions, we're in the cyber-physical fourth industrial revolution, the cloud is certainly part of our intelligent factory just like electricity became uh, part of our factories at the turn of the century. So with that, I will close. Um, Joe and I will be here for questions. Joe, do you want to add anything? I, I will. I, for those who may have wanted to ask a question, I'm going to ask some questions. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Um, culturally, yep. from a, was it a big barrier uh, on the floor to get everybody engaged and work? And, and what, what kind of mechanisms did you put in place? Yeah, yeah, culture is a huge thing. And we, we operated using those Just Do It events, and I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But really, it's like if you read up on best practices for hackathons, we would come together, we would bring OT personnel, shop floor operators, facilities, engineers, production operations, manufacturing technology, and some IT people as well. And we would focus on making their jobs easier. And it's, so we couldn't come in with just the technology piece, but we had to understand the process, how they're working, how to be more efficient, in some case get embedded with them and do a day in the life type scenario. Many of you probably use that technique, but then work to improve. So the, the benefit culturally is, you know, when we do these things, when we work a week at a clip, a couple weeks at a clip, we can leave a physical site and now we have connectivity, we have data products, we have insights that we didn't have before, so essentially we're better off. But culture is a huge thing. As technologists, I think sometimes we need to recognize that, maybe more so, uh, and increase our communications and really understand the processes, particularly in this case with uh, shop floor operational technology personnel. Great. 
I would Anything else? What was, the, what was the hardest thing that, had, that you went through? Hardest thing is connecting machines. Um, you know, building the adapters and, and understanding where to connect, how to connect. Um, we've got a, a good model. We're certainly iterating. Um, but, you know, the, the first thing was, you know, just getting in. And um, I'll tell you, if, if you ever watch, I think, what is it, the marshmallow uh, exercise on YouTube? There's a TED Talk about it where the kindergartners actually build a, a marshmallow tower out of sticks and marshmallows. And they beat the MBAs and they beat the CEOs. It's a great video. It's a great exercise if you want to do it with your team. But just go do it is, is, is the key. So we started, as soon as we got back from reInvent last year, we started building. And it wasn't what we have now, but we started. And we continued uh, to iterate. We grew some momentum. And you know, here we are today, right? We've got an intelligent factory. We've got a, a minimum viable product that's coming out next year. We're in beta connections right now. So um, it's continuing to grow. But I would say, just get started. You know, sometimes the hardest thing is, is where to start. Just go do it. Okay. okay. With that, I'll be up here for okay. questions. Joe and I will. Let me, uh, let me finish everything out okay. here. So. so there are some related breakouts that I think would be important for you guys if you haven't seen them. Uh, around um, for aerospace with GE Aviation. Spirit was actually on Monday, but uh, if you go to the Deloitte uh, booth over in the expo, we can get them to talk to you about factory of the future as well. Uh, there's one on predictive maintenance uh, within IoT. Uh, you'll, we, we put in travel and hospitality, but it's important because those who are working with air, air, aircraft, commercial aircraft, um, and the customer experience and how that's changing, uh, if you're on that side of the fence, you can work on that uh, piece. And then also, we see that um, automated ground vehicles uh, are, and autonomous ground vehicles are really becoming the next thing that, uh, that are going to take and drive efficiencies throughout the factory floor. So um, please try and stop by uh, that one, embracing the next wave of digital transformation via smart robots. And so. Uh, we also have a manufacturing networking lounge in this building up on the third floor, right, uh, in the Ironwood foyer. We're, um, our manufacturing team's going to be there. I'm going to be there for Q&A as well during those times. So I'm trying to just make sure that we do some of our house cleaning here. Uh, and with that, uh, I want to thank you all for attending uh, and appreciate your time. I appreciate your time, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. Honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, and Glad to be a part of it.